Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. What happens after we die? I think every Christian has an answer to that. I think that really should be one of the most important questions that uh, anybody should ask. And my next question would be, what happened to my microphone <laughs> that I forgot to put up here? Thank you, Mick. <laughs> Thank you. And now, now we have volume. What do you think of that? Can you hear me now? <laughs> um, anyway, the question is, their life after death? Christians have that answer. But the question then would be, if there is not life after death, if that be the case, what would we be doing here? Why meet? Matter of fact, what's the big deal about life? There's nothing about that. If you just live and then you die and that's it, why live? There's something that we know there's an answer to, but um, we need to find out as much as we can. If there is life after death, and of course with the scripture tells us there is, but eternity lies in the balance people why wouldn't they be asking this question people go to funerals why wouldn't they ask wonder where they're going wonder where I'm going why wouldn't they ask that one of the most important questions that can be asked there are a lot of different ideas about the afterlife besides Christianity Christianity is not the only has the only answers the Christianity has the truth about it other people have the answers about it or so they think but um, you could ask well what are some of those beliefs what are some of their ideas about afterlife I just thought of resurrection what else is out there well the Greeks and the Romans had their philosophies and ideas and uh, of course they believed in, in, some of them believed in an immortality, immortal, that there would be, that these bodies are perishable. Um, the Greeks and the Romans believed that the body was like a tomb, and it was a thing to be desired to be physically, uh, as we're in these bodies, that these bodies would physically die or something happens and the soul is just released from the bondage of a corrupt body. Some of them believe that. Plotinus said he was ashamed he had a body. Epictetus said of himself, Thou art a poor soul burdened with a corpse. Seneca wrote this, I am a higher being and born for the higher things than to be the slave of my body, which I look upon only as a shackle put upon my freedom and so detestable a habitation dwells the free soul. Of course, there was the dualistic philosophies, really the Gnostics brought into place, which they believed that there was a spiritual realm and a physical realm and really the physical realm was of no value. It was evil. It was wicked. But the spiritual inside that was good. 
And it's quite comfortable because if you take that view, it's like, okay, I'm held in this body, but I'm, there's something else in here that's good, so I can do whatever I want because the body in itself is corrupt anyway. It's going to do what it does, but there's, the, the good is that soulish nature, that spirit nature. And so, therefore, it gave them an excuse to do what they did. And that's all dealing with dualism. Paul affirmed what the Jews had always believed in as far as the biblical aspect is concerned, that there would be life after death. And, of course, he would have been in agreement with Job, which goes back to the ancient of times. The apostle is not looking for some kind of nirvana. He's not looking for some kind of a peace where there is an extinction. He's not looking for some kind of absorption into some kind of deity. And that's what many of the Eastern cults teach. And, of course, in our time, since the 70s and then the 80s and the 90s, it grew and grew where people would realize that they are God. I am God, as people would say. And so if they would just realize that they don't have sin, (laughs) and there's no such thing as that, then you can start thinking that you too are God. So those are some of the ideas that uh, would be, and, and of course the body would just would die out, but you would continue on into that higher realm. Uh, there's definitely some spiritual thoughts there, and sometimes they sound rather close to Christianity, but so far away. Hinduism, of course we know, believes in reincarnation, which... To the Eastern world, they hate this thought. The Western realm thinks it's so cool. A lot of your Hollywood actors started buying into the reincarnation. And really all that is is that you die. And your soul goes up into somewhere. And then it might return back as somebody else. Either lower or higher than you. Or some other creature that's way lower than you. And, of course, that's why in India they have the sacred cows. And, of course, that was probably some person at one time who didn't live a good life, and they were demoted to being a cow. Of course, there are things that are worse than being a cow, and so you can go on further down. And that is no of great help to us, is it? There's no hope in that at all. You can go for millions of years being, a, uh, being reincarnated, evolving into another person. It's kind of interesting, though. Some of the people who believe in this usually reincarnate into somebody that's famous and, you know, like Abraham Lincoln or somebody that would be well off with a lot of money as they get into the next world. So they say, that's what I was reincarnated from, and that's kind of where I'm going again. Uh, then there's Buddhism, which is... Uh, Related to Hinduism, but that takes off into a different direction, too, and it's really dealing with nirvana. And that's the ultimate, nirvana. What does it mean? Nothing. It means nothingness. All your hopes, all your dreams, all your pain, all your suffering, everything that you go through in this life, as you evolve and maybe reincarnate or whatever, you still have those feelings. And he says, 
You want to get rid of all those feelings, whether it be happiness, whether it be loneliness, whether it be pain, suffering, and to get into nirvana. Nothing. That's where we want to get. Well, that's absolutely hopeless too, isn't it? Sounds like quite the punishment. Well, the truth is, as Christians, we have a discomfort in these bodies. We're not totally satisfied, maybe with the physical appearance of it, or even worse, the feelings that it can give us at times when we're sick, uh, or as we get older, we talked about that last week, uh, it can definitely make us feel a little unfulfilled, because we know there's something better, incomplete, or imperfect, these bodies are not perfect, we ache and we sigh, we groan, we yearn for that next life, and there's a passionate longing for it, and we see that the Romans and the Greeks, they longed to get out of these bodies, but they really weren't talking about having a physical body, having some kind of soul and being in some kind of ethereal position, just kind of floating out there. <laughs> and that's the best that they can come up with. We get frustrated in this life. There are disappointments. There are limitations. There's disabilities that we have in our body. The Greek culture, with their dualism and their evil and, and the good spirit, they really had no consequences as a result of that. And that was the best that they could answer, quite popular to them, but it's dealing with a disembodied spirit, not a resurrection of a perfect body. In Christianity, that is what we see in, in its ultimate. In other words, those people then, and there are many people that, many people that follow that today are... They want to be freed from the confines of the body that they're in because it's limitations. They don't want a resurrection body. They just want to get out of this material world since it's wicked. Now, God's plan for us is not to exist in some kind of disembodied spirit. He has much teaching on what happens when we die and what happens to uh, the bodies. And we don't take a dualistic view. We take that God has blessed us with a body, an instrument that we can use for a little while while we're here on earth, despite all the consequences that come with it. But it is a blessing. It's a tool. It's an instrument. It's God's plan. But he has something even better. And so we, we look to that. But they wanted to be freed from the bondage. They recognize there is a bondage to these bodies, and it's that's why people want to have these out of the body experiences, because you can do so much so much more. These bodies limit us, don't they? But Christianity says there's a next body. So Paul isn't looking for nirvana. He isn't looking for some disembodied spirit, but he is looking for the body that's designed by God and promised by God, and through the truth that we look at this morning, we see that Jesus, and we know that that is the heart of Christianity, resurrected. That means he took on a body. The cults, like Jehovah's Witnesses, would say, well, that's really not Jesus, and he didn't resurrect into a, 
a new body, have a resurrection body. They have difficulty with that as they would have difficulty with the Trinity and anything that would be true teaching of the Scripture. The truth is, is that we're going to be like Christ. We're going to have bodies just like Christ did when he resurrected. We will be like him and see him as he is, 1 John 3, 2. I don't want to float in some kind of spirit, Paul says. He knew about those kind of philosophies that were out there. I don't, and I myself don't want to be floating around in some kind of spirit realm, really not even knowing anything. I mean, what is that? (laughs) I look forward to a perfect condition. So we're going to focus on these things today as we talk about death and life according to God's word. Why don't we stand? Turn to this great passage. I think we're probably very familiar with this theology and this thought. It's right at the heart of Christianity. At the same time that the explaining that Paul has here can make it a little more clear what is to come. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed while we are in this tent we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Let's pray. Father, as we peer into this glorious truth, this is what we all look to, for we know that the end of the story is not right here on earth in these bodies that we have now that will die, but we are promised because of the resurrection of Christ, who is our first fruits, that flowing out of that, we will see that we too will have glorified bodies. And as Paul related that truth to us, help us to learn a little bit more about your afterlife that we have here. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Chapter 5 is flowing right out of the thought that we had in chapter 4. Where, of course, that famous verse, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. This momentary light affliction that we are involved in presently, right now, as it's going on, it's a moment, and it's light. It's not heavy. Only lasts for a little bit. And it's working for us. An eternal weight of glory. That's exciting. So he keeps things in context as he moves right into this, what we see as chapter 5. It's the last section that we spoke of. We spoke about the outer man, right? In the verse preceding what we had just read there, it says, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, is dying, our inner man is renewed. So, with that kind of thought that he has and then looking on into the future, then he brings it back to the present time. 
Keeping that in context, and Paul had already spoken about dying daily. There's a daily death there, dying to self, but then he died daily serving the people like the Corinthians, giving them the gospel. And he was willing to give up his physical life so that they would have life in Christ and to be edified in Christ. Yet he had come so close to death so many times. And he relates that to many passages that we've covered several times, and we won't do that this morning. But he's talking about there's an eternal weight of glory beyond this. And he's reminding them this. They already know this because he says, for we know. In 1 Corinthians 15, he wrote 2 Corinthians, and he wrote 1 Corinthians. He gave the greatest resurrection chapter there is at least the longest one in, in chapter 15 of Corinthians, they knew about this. And the inspired word of God gave them uh, great knowledge about what happens. Our bodies decay. Our souls live on in eternity. All Christians believe that. Nothing to argue about that whatsoever. So there's a shedding of this body that's going on. When he says, for we, it refers to believers. We know this. Believers today. How do we know? Because God has revealed it in his scriptures. He's revealed it. It comes from the revelation of God in scripture, doesn't it? And that's why we can know anything. Because we have been given this truth this morning and all the time. The Bible promises resurrection. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent, let's spend just a little bit of time on that phrase there. We know that if the earthly tent, and the word is skeno, that deals with a tabernacle, a tent. John 1, 14. John 1 is dealing with the deity of Christ. John is proving the deity of Christ. By the time he gets to verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh, just like us in the sense of having a body. He came here, and then it says, and dwelt, or what? Tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent. A tabernacle was the tent that was done in the, the wilderness, as they would, you can think of the Old Testament relation there, as they would travel, as God would say, okay, it's time to Pick up the tents and let's move on. And so, you know, they would have them um, then take them up, move on. Then they'd pitch that tent again and they'd be there for a while until God told them to move on again. It was a temporary thing, wasn't it? They could take this and, and move on. And that's, that's the idea. Uh, it's an earthly body, an earthly tent. It was only made for this world. It cannot enter in to the eternal state. I am so thankful for that. <laughs> How would you like to live forever with these bodies that are still, that are dilapidated? They have their purpose here, but not forever. They're temporary. Look in Second Peter. I think this is a really good passage dealing with this. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. says, I uh, consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling. As long as I'm in this earthly 
body, this earthly tent, to stir you up by way of reminder. That's what Peter did. He didn't really teach him really anything new, taught him the old word of God. He was there to remind them. This is what we're doing today. Nobody's learning this for the first time about death and dying and the resurrection, right? But we are here to be reminded what a precious doctrine this is. And then he goes on saying, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling, the laying aside, what would that be? Be dying. It's imminent. That means it's going to happen sometime. It can happen sometime soon, anytime. As also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Ah, Peter had this revealed to him by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He saw the resurrected Lord, didn't he? And then verse 15, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, after my death, you will be able to call these things to mind. And this is all dealing with his approaching of death. And he wants them to be diligent to make certain about their calling. As he said in verse 10, I want you to keep this in mind. Bring it back to memory. There are so many doctrines in Scripture. You think, well, I already know all those. Well, the thing is, you need to keep reading the Scripture because there are some that you kind of forgot about. The Scripture is so deep and so wide. You have to keep going back. Why do we keep coming in here Sunday after Sunday? Why do we have Bible studies, systematic theologies? Why is that? So that we be reminded. And there are some new thoughts that we're going to have, not new doctrine, because that's always been here in Scripture. But we are ever learning, aren't we? We need to be reminded. Why do we have those things? You think, well, I pretty well know it all. I've been through all this. Hey, man, I've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. Got that? Let, let the younger ones, let them be a part of it. You know, it's old hat to me. I don't need it. Don't ever take that attitude because I'll tell you what, you may not return back to a, really a, a thriving for the Lord. Ephesians said, um, or, uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Revelation uh, and said they left their first love. And once scripture gets away from your own personal Bible study, you can get away from in, in Bible study with others, uh, it's important. Got to keep at it. We need to keep encouraging each other to do that, to be reminded. And that's what, what Peter said, until Christ comes back. Look at Job chapter 4, verse 19. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay. Oh, yeah, Job. This sounds like Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. How much more who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the mouth, the moth, who are crushed before the moth. Anyway, the idea there is the dwelling in houses of clay. It's talking about bodies. Uh, Paul's already talked about that, hasn't he? Jars of clay. That's what we are. We have the gospel in earthenware vessels made of dust. Which relates to that. Anyway, this earthly body is temporary. It's non-permanent. It's transient. 
earthly, recalls the formation of Adam. He was made of dust. And when he died, it went back to dust. We've all heard, like at funerals or burial sites, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Returns back there as far as the uh, makeup. Skene, tent, brings to mind the whole Old Testament thought, but here it's talking about the, the body. You know, tents could be swept away by a storm, by the wind, accidents of, of nature. By the way, those really aren't accidents either, are they? But anyway, our present body is of fragile nature. Houses of clay impermanence. That's what our present body is. A lowly home for the eternal souls. Very lowly. It's made of the dust. But yet, our eternal souls are in this body right now. Eternal souls. We're sojourners in these bodies. We're pilgrims in these bodies. Thank the Lord for them. It's a great tool, isn't it? That's how we get from one place to another. It's, there's a physical aspect of that. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. One is much more glorious than the other. They each have their glories. But there's a special glory in the heavenly body. But the earthly body here. And, it's, and so he, he's saying that it's going to be similar. You're going to still be your same person. You're not going to be somebody else. You're not going to be Abraham Lincoln. You're going to be who you are, only in a glorified state. Without any possibility to sin, everything goes right and perfect. Our present body is fragile. But we are sojourning. We're making our pilgrimage in this world with this. Anyway, we come back to that first phrase, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, that's what we're in now, right? This is, it houses our soul. Paul, by the way, as he writes this analogy, was what? Was a tent maker by trade. Acts chapter 18, verse 1 through 3. It's interesting that he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but yet he's able to take his own experience in a phys- making physical tents. He uses that tent as an analogy. I have to wonder him being so close to that, if that was, he, you know, he used that picture quite frequently to think of this is what this really is. You know, how non-permanent it is, but it was a job that kept him financially being able to move about and and to have the necessities that he had. Sometimes he was supported by the churches, but often he had this trade that he used while he taught the Word of God. In Acts chapter 18, he met uh, Priscilla and Aquila 
It says in verse 2, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native Pontus, having recently, uh, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, they made tents too. So how do you know? We stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. That's how we know. And so when you're reading through Scripture, sometimes it's, it's good to realize, okay, who wrote this? Oh, Paul did. Of course, it's good to ask, why did he write it? When did he write Who's he writing to? So it's, that's how you pay attention to rules of interpreting passages. Now, he's, since he puts that forth, he, he says, torn down. The word is kata luthe, and luthe, or lu, means to loosen. Sometimes whenever you hear about the earth and its elements being destroyed, I'll use that word destroyed, it's, it's using this word luo, which is to loosen, to dissolve. In this case, it's kata luthe, and kata is dealing with down. It means to loosen down. And so he uses that word. We have the word, uh, my version says torn down, and this tent is torn down. That's what they would do. They would have the tent up for a while, and then it would be taken down, collapsed, folded up. That's the idea of uh, this torn down, to dismantle. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 12. We'll go back to a prophet here that speaks of this same kind of terminology. Some kind of topic, 38.12. Like a shepherd's tent, my dwelling is pulled up and removed from me. So he compares it to a shepherd's tent, and he says, my dwelling is pulled up and removed from me. Eventually, you know, I'm going to die. Job chapter 4, which you might have looked at a little bit earlier, in that same chapter, we go down a couple more verses. Job 4 and verse 21. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? They die yet without wisdom. So you see the analogy again there. A tent cord. It's plucked up. You have the tent cords to help keep that up for a while. It's pulled up. How do you face this being torn down, tent pegs pulled up, inevitable that death is? We all know it. We don't like to think about it. But as Christians, and as you tend to get a little older, you start thinking about it more than before. It will come to you. It will come to me. It will come to me like an unsympathetic landlord who desires to give you an eviction notice. Are you frightened about that? You actually shouldn't be. Start looking at what you're living in. You want to take this into the kingdom of God? We live in a fairly wretched neighborhood, don't we? Called this world. And these wretched bodies are there too. There's a better neighborhood that we're going to. Uh, remember that song, Big Daddy Weave? Neighborhood. 
something like that. Anyway, that's what we're doing. We're getting ready. We live in a dilapidated slum town. This world. It's a swamp. It needs to be drained. <laughs> Sorry about that. Actually, I'm not. I kind of like a glorious, glorious dwelling is awaiting us. Death is coming with an eviction notice. Going to have to get out of this wretched tent, wretched house. You know what? It's not going to make you homeless. It's going to do is give you a grand and glorious dwelling that uh, we look forward to. So there really should not be any fear of death. That's the way a Christian should look at death and dying. Because it's all in God's timing too. Christians will say, God is in total control. By the way, he has my days numbered, which is scriptural. Aren't you glad he's in total control of it? Because he's the one. How could we get from this body to the next? Can we do that? Can we work up some kind of a nirvana or something like that? You know, some kind of reincarnation to get to that, that glorious body? What do we have to do to do that? God does it all. We don't do it. Just like when you were first born, did you have anything to do with it? Did you choose? I think I'll come to life now. Impossible. God is doing this work supernaturally incredible. Look in Philippians 1, 20 through 25. And my, Paul had such a positive, upbeat view of something that seems so negative. By the way, all these verses that we're doing today, you've probably heard in funerals. They sound familiar? But if you're a Christian, and that person is a Christian, you can celebrate. I remember when many of us were part of my mother's funeral and that was a celebration that day we had all the singers up here from our church and the musicians and we just did what we do here on Sundays we worshipped God celebrated the fact that he had given life to my mom and made an impact on many people and me especially how God used her you know I used that as an illustration I don't usually talk about my personal life but I you know, I see that a lot of you participated in that, were part of it. And that was a grand and glorious day. And I say thanks to this day that you guys that helped so much on that because it really meant a lot. That was a feature day I'll never forget. So anyway, it is a glorious thing. What's it say here in Philippians 1? It says, and this is Paul's view, <laughs> who's inspired by God. According to my earnest expectation and hope, earnest expectation, hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body. Right now, I want Christ to be exalted in my body. That's what it's about. While well, I'm living here now whether by life or by death. When I die, I want Christ to be exalted. For to me, to live is Christ. That's life, it's Christ. And to die is gain. What's better than life? There's a song I think we sing, better than life. It's to die 
to be with Christ. It's to live as Christ, to die as gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, if I have to stay around here, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. If I stay around here in this body, it does mean that God will still work through me, and there will be fruit out of it. Hey, that's good. Paul says, I like that. It's all right. But I'm hard-pressed. He says, I have to really be serious with you about this. From both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. (laughs) Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. That's what it was about. That's what he lived for, for their sake. It wasn't about his sake. He gave up everything, remember? He died daily. What an attitude that he had. He lived for others because that's really living for Christ. You live for others, not yourself. Die to self. Die to self. That's what Jesus said. I think Paul learned that very well. Don't you think so? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. This is showing how Paul is the example of how it is when you get to your last days. For I'm already, verse 6, right? For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. It's part of the sacrifice. The time of my departure has come. He's not talking about his next flight to Rome. He's talking about his flight I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Who are they? All the people who look forward to Christ coming back. Who are they? All Christians, true Christians. Paul had it right. And when he got to that point, he had it, he showed it. And as we get older, we want to keep that same kind of attitude. We want to keep that youthful attitude even as we get older. Don't ever let Dennis help him get grumpy, okay? Because I can have a tendency probably to be that way as I get older. I don't want that to happen. People need to keep you in check. I don't want to be grumpy. Because look at Paul. I want that attitude that he had. He kept saying rejoice. Okay, well, Paul, he's an example. Go back to our Corinthians here. 2 Corinthians 5. Still in verse 1. We have a building from God. We have a building. Oh, now, do you see the different analogies that's going on? We have a tent. We have a building. Which one do you want to live in? You're out shopping, and, and the realtor's showing you, okay, we'll take you down this street here. See, there's a, a nice tent there that has 20 different cords around it, and it's made of nylon. See how strong it is? And you can say, I don't want that. 
okay, we have something that is a little more value. This is a house. You go down a street that has nothing but houses. What do you want? You want the street with the tents? You want to live there? Or do you want the street with the house, right? We have a house. Oikodamon. Oikos, uh, house. I think a home, house. Damon. Dame. Building. House, building. It's in contrast to skene, tent. House, tent. Building. Oikodame, very stable, permanent structure, foundationally perfect. This is talking about a bodily existence, not disembodiment here. We have a building from God. Solidarity, foundation, firm, permanent. We're getting a building. We're going to leave a tent and go to a building. How would you like to live in a literal tent all your life and all of a sudden, sometimes in your life then, you are moved into a real building, a house. Paul, what a difference, right? How much more will this be? So we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We could turn to 1 Corinthians 15. It goes on for quite the length. 1 Thessalonians 4 gives us just a little shorter glimpse and because of time, we're going to do there and say, well, how can you talk about all this and not go to 1 Corinthians 15? Well, we read one verse from there and we might wind up there anyway. It is the kingpin, I think, of the resurrection. But here it's talking about where we meet the Lord in the air. Everybody's familiar with this. This is what we, we look to. Uh, 4.13 says, but we do not want you to be uninformed. And the word there in the Greek means ignorant. You might even have that in your translation. We don't want you to be ignorant. Ignore. Uh, it's, it's dealing with to know, to not know. We don't want you to not know, brethren, about those who are asleep. He's not talking about the people that are taking a nap. He's talking about the ones who have died in Christ. So that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. He will bring those. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, for we who are alive right now and remain until the coming of the Lord. I think Paul looked forward to that coming. I think he really, you know, this is where he's caught up with the Lord without even dying. 1 Corinthians 15 says there will be some who will not die. They'll go right out of this body right into the next. Boom, boom. However that is. And here he's saying we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So evidently he's saying there might be a time when I haven't fallen asleep that I haven't died that first of all there'll be a resurrection of them. They will get the ones who have died, their souls are are with the Lord right now. They're they're alive, but they're not with bodies. One day it'll happen whenever their spirits will be united to the body. How exciting is that? The ones who are on here on earth then will also proceed after that, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, 
they get their bodies, then we who are alive, and Paul is thinking, that's me. This is the route that I'm going to take, I hope. I, I think every Christian wants that to happen. I have not met a Christian who says, well, I like to die first. I like to go through a lot of pain. And then, you know, I've not met. They probably exist. I know some ignorance happens. But, you know, you have this hope that, you know, he would come back. Uh, this is rapio in the Latin. That's why we get the word rapture. It's okay to use that word. It's out of the Latin. It means a catching up, a meeting together. Uh-huh. And, and harpazo is your Greek. It's okay. It's, it means the same thing. So don't get nervous when you say, oh, you know, if you don't like the word rapture because it's not in the Bible, it is. It just happens to be used in a, in a, a different language. That's the idea. It means we, we're caught up with the Lord. That's, and that's what it means, caught up, snatched up by him. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. This is a bodily resurrection. Bodily resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says it even much deeper, and it has the rapture or the harpazo or the rapio there, the catching up, being caught up. Uh, and the reason I say that word, I had a guy who worked at my store one time, and I was talking about the rapture. And he said, oh, you know, I don't believe in that. I go, wait a minute, you're a Christian. I know you're a Christian. Why do you say you don't believe in the rapture? And he says, oh, I don't believe in that kind of stuff where, you know, he's talking about, I don't like dispensationalist stuff. I said, dispensational covenant, it doesn't matter. All Christians believe in a rapture. Whatever word you want to use. And I said, harpazo, does that make it, make it feel better? <laughs> Caught up. And I don't think he, still, he got it yet, but I was saying, I'm not talking about some kind of thing that's going to be happening here in the future and there's different thoughts. I'm just saying, biblically, there is nothing wrong with the rapture. You know, if we define what it is, sometimes we have to define what we say anymore because there's so many different thoughts. So, so I just make that clear of saying, nothing wrong with that. People know what you mean when you say that, especially in, in our thought. It's, it's meeting up with the Lord, regardless of when. We might have differences on when that is, and but this is the this is biblical. I have no problem with it at all. Uh, shedding the tent, getting a building, um, not made from hands, not made from hands. The resurrection body of Jesus Christ. He had told them, and the Jews were there. He told them that this body will be taken down. This temple. That's representing the body. Will be taken down, but there will be another one. Not made from hands. They built a temple. So they thought he was talking about, he's going to tear that building down. The temple building. And he was really talking about the what? His body. He's talking about, I'm going to die, but I'll come back to life. But he said it in terms that maybe they, well, they definitely didn't understand because they were not spiritual to hear that. But we see that in Mark 14, 58. Right at the end of Mark. We heard him say, this is what they heard him say. He said this, I will destroy this temple. He's, they're talking about the building. Jesus is going to destroy that temple made with hands. And in three days I will build another made without hands. And that's, that's what they were claiming Jesus <laughs> had said. Well, he said something like that, but they totally misinterpreted, missed the boat on it. We'd look in John chapter 2, verse 21. 
here's the meaning of that. A Jew said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and, and will you raise it up in three days? See, you can see, there's the building, right? They're always thinking something that's... Not. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. The temple of his body. Of course, a temple ultimately is a building, isn't it? They had the tabernacle made with tents, but when they moved into the promised land and then... At Solomon's time, the temple came into being, and it was a solid structure for hundreds of years until the Babylonians came and destroyed it, and then another one was built and and such. So anyway, not made from hands, uh, not of this creation is the thought there. I want a permanent, fixed, settled building made by God, not having anything to do with this creation, heavenly. Versus earthly. So, I think, as we look at that, we can get the idea. Philippians 3, by the way, 20 and 21. Again, Paul really spoke a lot about this, didn't he? That's why he was never fearful of anything. For our citizenship is in heaven from it which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now are you ready for the next verse? Oh, this is great. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that has, He has even to subject all things to Himself transforming the body that we have to a glorious body. How's he going to do that? 1 Corinthians 15 talks about it. It's going to be very similar but different. (laughs) You can't explain it. It'll be much more higher than you can ever even imagine, though. Hebrews 9.11. Hebrews. This is a good 911 here, huh? But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation. Whenever he entered into the heavens to sit at the right hand of God, it was in his glorious eternal state. That body. Yes, Jesus is in a body. He's not just some kind of spirit son floating around out there. Now he's in a real place with a real body. Glorious body. Man, it's amazing. And we will be like him. See him as he is. The house is distinguished in three ways. You have the heavenly versus the earthly, right? You have the permanent versus the what? the temporary, and then you have one assembled by God or rather than by creative uh, human hands and that kind of thing. Groaning, groaning and longing for the eternal house. Here's where 
we speed up now. With all that set up, <laughs> we always spend 90% of the time on the one verse and then we move on. If I did this, we would never get through Second Corinthians. So, But what it is, with, with that in hand, everything else just flows. For indeed, in this house, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, as he's just talked about, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, there's the word again, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. We are mortal beings in this body, but yet we are immortal in our souls, right? Spirit. Groaning means to sigh out. To sigh out of a longing to be clothed in that body. Uh, we moan in response to the physical suffering. There's a shift of m- metaphors here. You have a tent that's been dealing with now. It's like a, an overcoat that he puts over on, on this. Uh, you know, we groan now. Did he mean that he was unhappy? Oh, oh, oh this life it's, just stinks. I hate this. You know, you don't see that, Paul. It sounds like, well, he just can't wait to get out of here. Well, he's kind of torn, but he knows what's ahead. So he touched many people, so that's why he continued on and had that attitude. There's a certain kind of misery in this body. We're unfulfilled, incomplete. We ache and we sigh. We groan. Romans chapter 8, We, I think we might have on here last week in Romans 8 verse 18 for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly they stick out their necks and really examine it creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God that's us Creation is waiting for us to be changed, to be transformed into that glorious body. For the creation was subjected to futility. The reason creation is the way that it is, and you have leaves that are dying and falling off, and by the end of the day, most of the trees are going to be done with their leaves. It's going to look like Thanksgiving. It looks like (laughs) death from here until spring, doesn't it? It reminds me of death. I like fall. The beauty of the colors are fantastic. God is amazing that he can take something that I think he gives us pictures of how it really is uh, spiritually. And be, but because those leaves have to fall and, and it looks like death, it's because we caused that. Mankind <laughs> and his sin caused that. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You know, we talk about glorified bodies, but man, what is creation going to look like after this? We can't imagine the colors that will come out, the bright light. We're seeing dimly today, aren't we? We see now dimly, right out of 1 Corinthians 13. What is glory? It's just like the bright noonday sun. You can see things that you didn't see of a morning or at night, and all of a sudden 
Well, this we can't even compare to. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. They've always done that since the fall. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We have been redeemed already spiritually, but not physically. That's why we have sicknesses. That's why we have death. Blame it on sin. We groan. Can't wait. We groan to be made like Christ, to enter into that perfection. We want it passionately. There's a, there's a word, for uh, verse 4, for indeed while we're in this tent we groan being burdened, weighted down, carrying a heavy load. That's kind of like, uh, you know, that's, we're carrying a burden, aren't we? Everything that goes with this life, everything that's in it, and we're weighted down. And he says being burdened because we don't want to be unclothed but to be clothed. So that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Unclothed. He used the word naked. He said, what? What is he talking about there? He said, Dennis, that's, where, that's why I came this morning. This, I read this verse and I saw this word naked. And it's like well, Paul's saying, having put on, will not be found naked. Uh, there are different thoughts uh, on this sense of saying, well, we die, we go to be with the Lord. We know that absent from the body, he'll be saying in verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Um, verse 6 says, at home in the body. We're, right now we're home here. We're absent from the Lord. Present with the Lord. You die, Philippians says, then to be with the Lord. Immediately, as soon as you die, you go to be with the Lord. Your spirit is there with him. Not your body, not your new glorious body yet, unless that was the time that he comes back and we meet him in the air. But some people think this, and I'm not so sure. I don't know. It's speculation from here. Do we have some kind of a temporary body when we get there then? It doesn't really say that. It, you know, it can be. I've seen some very good expositors speculate on that. And I have thought about it for a long time, and I still do. I wonder if we're just going to be just spirit beings there and not have a body or being naked in that sense. Or do we have this little temporary thing, go from this body to another little temporary body, which it doesn't really say, and he's, that's not where he's really going on this area here anyway. It's not the intent. But I know what some of you are saying. Okay, if we go to be with the Lord, are we some kind of physical, we've always had physical, and is a physical and spiritual come together there for a little bit until we get the resurrection? Glorified body. Speculate. Doing all you want, doesn't matter. We'll be with the Lord. It doesn't really matter. And that's the reason I have to say to myself constantly, it doesn't matter. Whatever he's got in mind is fine. Um, but I think Paul might have been saying here, you know, he doesn't want to be naked in the sense that, you know, and you think of this whole context. He wants to invo- avoid the disembodied state. He looked forward to Christ coming back. Remember? He looked forward to that rapture, meeting him in the air. He looked forward to that. It didn't happen because that hasn't happened yet. Christ has not come back yet. 
So we have that same thought. I would much rather just boom, like that. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. I don't want to be found naked. I'm in this tent with grown being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal be swallowed up by life. Is he saying that or not? Um, don't necessarily know. Um, but I will say, uh, I think Paul is saying, I don't want any disembodied state like all those Eastern religions are going to come up with in which they were already kind of believing their philosophies. Those who died as Christians and have gone on from our presence now are with the Lord. They don't have bodies yet, not in that glorified body sense. Look in Hebrews 12, 23. And in Paul's language, he might have been saying they're naked or their spirit. And look in Hebrews 12, 23. And I think this helps a lot. However it is, we'll be fully conscious when we're there as soon as we die. Hebrews 12, 23. To the general assembly, that would be like angels and such, and the church of the firstborn, that would be Christ, who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. The ones who are in Christ, who died, they are now called what? At this time when they go to be with the Lord immediately. They're spirits of the righteous made perfect. Spirits that are perfect. No more sin. They still await their bodies, don't they? So that's the idea that Paul here, he doesn't desire to be naked, he says. By the way, to the Hebrew person, that was like one of the worst things that could happen. And to me, I always thought, people running around in their underwear even, I just, I can't fathom that, you know, doing commercials on TV because that was like one of the worst and the most embarrassing things that could ever happen to be caught in your underwear or to be caught naked. And today, people glorify in that. Mm -hmm. Now in verse 5, you got to like this. You can say, well, how can we know? How can we know all this is right? All those other religions have all these different views. And what if they are right? Why are you even saying that? Don't you believe the truth? How many scriptures have we looked at? What do we have to do to convince anybody, right? How can the Corinthians be sure? Well, Paul has to remind him. He says, we know about this. He says, it's the purpose of God. It's the decree of God. The elective decree of God. Since it's God's work, God is sovereign. This means his purpose. Everything that he attempts to do will come true. Things that he foreordained in eternity past, before the foundation of the world, every one of those will come true and will be made into the image of Jesus Christ because that was his purpose, his plan. He ordained that. All who are saved will be brought to the intended purpose of God in redemption of their bodies. He prepared us Kater Gasaminos, it's dealing with a working of his um, for this mortal existence to be swallowed up by immortality. And then he says, I have a pledge to you. He gave us the spirit as a pledge. We have the word of God and we have the spirit of God. The spirit of God bears witness with our spirit or our spirit is banked upon the word of God and his promises. The two go together. How do we know this? Because nobody has ever been there except 
Christ, and then we have some testimonies. Peter, James, and John saw Moses and Elijah, you know. Very supernatural. It's not a frequent thing that that happens. How do we know? Well, we've gone through plenty of scripture this morning, and we could go through hundreds more, couldn't we? We have an Arabone, a pledge. It is something we know for sure. He prepared this. It's his purpose, his pledge. Arabone is a deposit. It's a legal term, and you might have a sale, a contract of a sale or service, and now it's been legally binding. There's been um, an earnest as far as financially is concerned. A, a buyer would give a seller uh, a de deposit before the actual sale. He gives him a pledge that there's more to come. We have more to come because we have the Holy Spirit now. There's much more to come to this. That's our inheritance. And we think about this, the earnest has been made. The Holy Spirit is the first installment. Holy Spirit bears with our spirit, telling us this word is true. I'm a Christian. I know for a fact because of the Word of God, because of the Spirit of God. The earnest money has been put down. I can think of Ephesians 1.14. uses the same word. Romans 8.16 and 17, same thing. As a matter of fact, in Romans 8, uh, just you know, read the whole, Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who are called uh, to His purpose. Those who love Him call according to His purpose. I'm trying to speed on. Uh, just... <laughs> tripping all over the place. But uh, what does the next place uh, talk about? It talks about his predestination, his foreordaining, and uh, bringing us into being called and justified and then what? Glorified. In Romans 8 there, he talks earlier about the pledge. The installment, Ephesians 1, 14, the Holy Spirit is the pledge. Many sons, the sons of God, will find glory. That's a mark of a Christian. Let's sum it up. Resurrection, transformation. Second, the language is building. We have a building awaiting. There will be some form of material existence along with our spiritual existence. Continuity between the present and the future the sense that we will still be that person. And finally, it's the down payment, that we can know this. He ensures us that the down payment has been made. We know that. We know the Holy Spirit is in us. And we have a future mode of existence that is given much truth to us, and yet our finite minds cannot come to the ultimate of what all this... Whatever best... High, you, you can take all this to this glorious body. It goes an extreme amount more of how much better it will be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is resurrected from the dead. That's the proof of Christianity that is real. Whenever he arose by the very power of God to come up with a glorious body that will never die. And that guarantees to us, as the Holy Spirit is sent to us, and because of His truth, that we too 
will have this happen. I think we have enough evidence scripturally and inwardly to knock down any other thoughts and views of all the world religions, the Eastern religions, the cults, isms, and the schisms, and the fisms. And we thank you, Lord, that all of that is nothing but human lies. And we have just looked into your truth. This is how we give our apologetics the person of Jesus Christ. And let us be a witness of who he is in our lives as we walk out of here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Until next time.